If you build a workforce that aligns to business, businesses run better, which means your economy runs better, which means ultimately your people are training up and educating up in the ways that the businesses need them. And so you get an employee that has higher earning potential and better life potential. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reboot Higher Ed. Today's guest is Beth Davison, and Beth is the founding executive director of the Kentucky Chamber Workforce Center. The Workforce Center is part of the philanthropic arm of Kentucky Chamber of Commerce, the state's largest association advocating on behalf of business. Beth joined the chamber in 2017 to begin building the Workforce Center as its only fully dedicated employee. Since then, the center has grown to a team of nine and continues to expand their support to employees and efforts in building a stronger workforce. Beth is a lifelong resident of Kentucky, earning her undergraduate degree from the University of Kentucky and an MBA from Sullivan University. She has spent the last 10 years advocating for workforce in Kentucky and the nation's capital and aligning the talent to the strategic plans of business. Beth was honored as a top 40 under 40 and named a top 20 people to know in human resources by Business First Louisville. Previous employers include Greater Louisville Inc., the Oliver Group, and Sullivan University. Beth also serves as the Workforce Readiness Chair for the Kentucky Society for Human Resource Management. Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Paul. I'm like thrilled to be on and grateful that you would have me on the Reboot Higher Ed podcast and just have to say it's like a fun experience to be on here with a former coworker too, Paul. It's good to yes, be reunited. Definitely it is. And you know, um just after just going over your bio since you know, since since we uh spent some time together in, in our careers, uh, you you certainly you do exhibit the the lifelong learning that we know a lot of our adult uh, degree completers and those in the workforce uh, are something that uh, to aspire to. So congratulations on, on what you've been able to achieve through your uh, education pathway. Thank you. It was, you know, it, it didn't come easy. I was never a good student. Um, I always talked way more than I listened in class. And, yeah. you know, I had skinned my needs a lot when under during undergrad and, you know, just eventually kind of got it right. And, um, you know, was able to earn more degrees as I got more experience and, and maturity. So thank you. Yeah. So can, the the executive director is your current role for the Workforce Center. So uh, yes. tell us, so Beth, like you get to work every day. Uh, so you work up in Frankfurt in Kentucky, right? I do. I do. Okay. So what do you do after you get your coffee and after you've read through, scroll through whatever social media is your favorite. What, 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 how does the day start for you? Like what is involved in your role there? Yeah. So I will say I do get my coffee in the morning. I do not go straight to social media. I have committed <laughs> in 2020. Do not go straight to social media to keep that it off. And I'm doing a pretty a good trap. job. It was a trap. So here we are in March and I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm a big podcaster on the way to work. So everyone always asks me, they're like, Gosh, you drive all the way to Frankfurt from Louisville. And my response is, well, one, you have to love what you do. And if you didn't love what you do, you wouldn't be okay with driving 40 miles down from 64 from Louisville. And I am because I do love what I do. But the other thing, and I always justify is like, I live in Middletown. 
And driving from Middletown to downtown Louisville is way harder than going from Middletown to Frankfurt. It is a cup of coffee, a really easy podcast down the road, and no traffic. So um, that's how I spend the car ride in. But as far as work goes, I mean, no day at the Workforce Center is ever the same at the Kentucky Chamber. That is for sure. And I think that's why I like it so much is we're just, we're a young organization. The Chamber's been around, the Kentucky Chamber's been around forever. But the Workforce Center, we, I, you know, I opened it in 2017. And it has been growing like crazy since we opened it. And so it's just in this constant build and develop and growth mode that we've been in. Um, I am really proud that all the programs we've started keep getting renewed contracts every year. Um, so they're they're working. And we've gone from just me to now 10 employees. So I'm pretty pumped about that. But no day is ever the same for sure. Definitely. Yeah, that, that growth. Um what would you attribute a lot of that growth to? Just meeting meeting the demand, or is it more than that? Yeah, I just think um, there's such a place for businesses to get active in workforce and education conversations, and that's really our bread and butter. So we are the state's largest, the Kentucky Chambers, the state's largest business association. We represent the workforce interests of about 48,000 Kentucky businesses, all the way from Pikesville to Paducah. And even during the recession, all we hear about, Paul, is I can have a line of candidates out the door, but I don't have the right skills in front of me. And then, you know, during a heightened economy, it's an even more stressful situation for businesses. They actually don't have the candidates lying out, lining up at the door. And when they do have candidates, they often don't have the skills that, that they need. And so we're constantly asking for businesses to get engaged and get involved in workforce, but the platforms have not always been there for them to do so. And so we're a business organization that represents business and workforce. When you say platforms, tell me a little bit more about that. The platforms were not available. So what, can you go into that? Yeah, I mean, I, when I first started this job, I traveled the state for about eight months and it was just me at that time. And there were so many incredible workforce programs, incredible education programs. And to be specific, there's $1.2 billion worth of workforce and education programs in Kentucky. And just time and time again, we would learn about all these programs and they're all really good. They're all well-intended. But what kept getting requested of us is, well, we need businesses to come to this, to this meeting. We need them on our steering committee. We need them at this event. We need them to use this resource and this program. And I just, it started to look like a plate of spaghetti. And I was like, I can't bring all the businesses to all these programs. Like, this is really hard. And using my former HR mind, I just started to think, like, that's not how we do business. When we do business, if we're building a team, we look at our strategic plans, and then we put the right people on the seats on the bus to get them to deliver those strategic plans and to the business outcomes that those that organization needs. We don't start with all the resources. And so we wanted a very different approach that actually started with the needs of business and then build in all these different workforce and education programs. So that's really our motto is start with the needs of the employers first and then build a workforce using the resources and partners that are out there based on those business needs. That's where the educational partnership would come in. So at, at that point, so you built 
you know what the needs are. If you go past the needs, then you just develop anything that you're kind of like, I guess it can become, it can become an agenda of anything but what's needed. And, and then you completely just kind of miss the target um, as far as uh, developing any kind of partnerships. I guess you wouldn't even know where to, to start. And, I, and as you said, a play spaghetti, that's a good visualization. And even now thinking it, it's kind of counterintuitive how it has been addressed in the past. So you're seeing a shift in the adaption of this type of process versus like historically what was the way things were done. Yeah, I mean, yes, Paul, I think that's so well said. Like, you know, if you think about it, businesses really have a huge role to play with workforce and education partners. They actually should be front and center in those conversations. Um, But for some reason, we've built, and this is way before you and I were born, a long, long time ago, we just built a a country where, you know, K through 12 is in one box, college four-year college is in another box, you know, community college, colleges are in one box, and then, you know, technical um, training is in another and then employers are in their box. And we've got to get employers out of the offices and in the middle of these conversations. And it's so critical, not just because we see these significant workforce shortages, but we're just at the beginning of this. I mean, if you think about the technological disruption that's going to be just changing the way we do business, if we wait for for educators to find that out on their own and not get those signals from business, by the time they find that out, they're gonna businesses are gonna be on to their next change and their their next evolution of the new skill that they need, right? So right. we just our motto is like businesses have to be front and center of the conversation. We have to start with them and we're built we're building a system that does that. Um so that we can be good stewards and partners to our workforce and education um organizations that are out there trying but we're bringing businesses to the table based on what they need. And then, and then we go build in the resources with our partnerships. So right now, if a business, what I'm thinking about already is if, 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 if a business isn't front and center, that it's not like universities, colleges and universities, community colleges aren't developing programs, but they're doing so in a vacuum then if a business isn't involved, correct? Yeah, I mean, I know, like, I have been on both sides. I have been in HR and I have been in education. So I have both sat as an employer and came to committee meetings or, you know, and then I've sat as an educator and invited employers to committee meetings. And I know what we do. I know what we do on both ends. On the education side, and this isn't a blanket statement, so by no means do all educators do that. But on on the education side, we formulate an agenda. It's about 90 minutes long to two hours. We offer a nice lunch. The employer comes, they eat lunch, and then we just give them all the information, right? We just right. give them all the info. That's kind of how we built up these, like this committee, these um, these oversight committees that kind of see over these programs. And so we're constantly just giving them all the info when it leaves little room for employers to really signal out what they need or even thinking about it. And then on the flip side of that coin in HR, because I've been guilty of this too, Employ our education workforce partners are reliant on job descriptions that are out there on the web. Well, I've posted a lot of job descriptions in my day as an HR leader. I know what we do. We take an old, dusty job description, we add a few fresh new bullet points to the end of it, and then we post it on the web. 
And that's what most of our workforce and education partners get to use as what the needs are of employers when they're outdated. Oftentimes, employers don't always have their facts straight on exactly what they need. And so we're asking for a call to do something different. So with employers really going through with them by industry sectors and by region, what those critical needs are, getting facts straight on what the competencies are, the skill set, the credentials of what it takes to be successful in the role, and then understanding where they source talent, like where their talent providers are. And then we are able to give those signals over to our education partners in a way that is succinct and shows demand, how many of those positions are coming out, how many of those graduates are going to be needed, and the skill set that they need. Um, And then, you know, the employers feel more empowered because, and we've even heard our employer partners say that, that they feel like that's data they can take action on because they own it. They knew, they, they know what it was because they created that data as a group, as an industry. Briefly, you know, I have done my homework on what you all do, but I wanted you to talk about the, um, like your all's uh, five strategic initiatives and just, you know, a, it's just a Twitter version of, of what those are. Yeah. Um, and so the listeners. What is that? Have, 140 characters? Actually, I think they extended it, but I, I, I Is digress. it extended? Don't extend yes. me. You don't want to extend me. <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, so we've got five priorities, and these are kind of our founding um, guideposts as we, we, we started the Workforce Center. And one is industry collaboratives. I'm not going to belabor that because that's really our talent pipeline management approach. That is the data infrastructure and system that we kind of just talked to is putting employers by sector, by region, into groups, defining critical needs, demands, where they have talent, um, pain points, and the the competencies they need in their organization that they just can't live without. So we've got 30, well, 30 of these groups, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm over speaking, 25 of these groups all through the state. Um, We started launching this system in January, and now we have 25 employer groups, again, convened by industry sector and by region. And this is the U.S. Chamber system that we use. Um, Kentucky was one of the first three states to take this on as a a system. Um, And we have network development. So we have a workforce center network. If any of your wonderful listeners out there want to join, it's a free resource. Um, It's a tool for us to disseminate information to partners, whether it's an employer, an educator, a workforce training provider, on the latest news and notes of workforce for the day in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I think that one actually got under 140 characters. I'd be interested yeah. to see. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Measuring progress. Um, this is huge. I don't, Paul, you probably remember I'm a data junkie. I love data. I think data is so important. And we we issue quite a bit of uh, reports, data reports on workforce, education, um, training in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And they're free. This is, we're very open source about that as well. If anybody wants to um, print out any of those um, reports, um, on our website, you can go to KentuckyChamber.com under publications and reports and find the latest on workforce data trends in Kentucky. Um, business leadership, again, for us, that's putting employers in the driver's seat of workforce and education um, and, tr- and topics in Kentucky. Um, one of the, you know, Kentucky's been hit very hard by the opioid epidemic. We also um, are very bad offenders when it comes to incarcerating more citizens than most states. And then when we incarcerate, we don't tend to rehabilitate. We send that population back to prison, they recidivate. And um, 
so we have a, a second chance program or recovery program focused on working with employers to guide them through the steps of how to treat, prevent, be a second chance hire employer in the workplace and to combat substance use disorder and opioid use disorder. And the reason that's so important is Kentucky has one of the lowest workforce participation rates in the state. Um, I am proud to say when we started beating the drum on this in 2017, we were 40th in the nation. Um, 47th in the nation. We're now 40th. You don't get a trophy for 40th, but we are moving yeah. in the right direction. Essential skills. Yeah, yeah. Essential skills are huge. Think about K through 12. And we often hear employers say that, you know, I just need somebody that will show up on time, pass a drug test, have good communication skills, be a good team player. Um, we hear that time and time again. And so we work really hard at the Workforce Center to make sure whatever we do, that essential skills is a part of it. And so the essential skills bill was passed a couple years ago. So it's in legislation now, then K through 12, that they teach um, essential skills in the high schools and middle schools and elementary. So in elementary, that can look like a kindergartner showing up for class and shaking their teacher's hand. Um, in high school, it can look like work-based learning, internships, on-the-job training. Um, and we have our Bus to Business program, um, which focuses on engage getting businesses to invite students of um, middle school and high school grades into their workplaces to tour, get you know, learn about how career pathways that are available. And we do that all through the state. That's a partnership we have with Kentucky SHRM. And that program is in October of 2020, if anybody wants to register. I think that's five. Definitely didn't yes. win your 140-character contest, though. No. So um, I, I wanted to – let's go into the uh, – I'm, I'm going to divert from, like, our agenda. Yes, Beth and I did discuss what we were going to talk about. We didn't just jump <laughs> on the podcast. I know it's not rehearsed, though. This is raw. So you are hearing this. I wish we could do it live, but we just can't. So I, I wanted to know a little bit, um, let's talk about some wins. Is there any recent success, and you don't have to do a Twitter version, you can do a Facebook okay. post on this one. Um, <laughs> is there any recent success stories of, of any kind of educational partnerships with employers, anything that comes to mind? And, and, and so I'd like to know like who, if you don't, you don't have to name the names, um, we don't have to do that, but it's like kind of what took place to make that a success and to really kind of, what was the genesis of, of how some of the things got going? Yeah. Um, well, for sure. I, I can think of, you're in Louisville, so this is, this is, um, this is maybe good and relevant. I know your listeners are all over, but so we in Louisville have, we have a healthcare collaborative in partnership with Kentucky and works. And we've been working with, you know, the major healthcare employers, and they really signaled out that they have way more needs for registered nurses than our post-secondary partners are actually producing. And to your point earlier, that is assuming all the graduates are staying in Louisville, which we know is not true. So even, even if all the graduates still stayed there, we still not have enough nurses. And what I really appreciated about these conversations and the partnerships that are now forming is that we went, the employer's the employer partners have gone to the, the post-secondary education partners and said, hey, we need 4,000 nurses in the next two years with the number of graduates you're currently producing. We're short. I think it was about 700 nurses a year. And, you know, we, our team kind of visited with each post-secondary partner and, you know, they were real quick to say like, well, we'd love to fill our classrooms, but here's the deal. 
having students is expensive. We don't have enough rotation sites. And also, we don't have enough teachers. And it was so refreshing just to kind of see this very fact-driven conversation start to evolve between educators and and the employers. Well, the employers, you know, they looked at their retiring population. And they're starting to say now, well, gosh, if we took 15% of our employees that are going to be retiring in the next few years, that would add 15 more, um, that could add 15 more clinical rotation leaders for these, these schools. Um, and if we opened our doors and let more students come in for clinician rotations, then we could add this many more students. And so that is a, that is a conversation that is evolving now in the Louisville market. And I know on Monday they have a big meeting between the educators and employers because they're continuing to look at this rotation need and these clinical opportunities and how they really can be more opening using employers' resources, getting them to put some skin in the game, you know, tuition benefits, opening up their doors, using their personnel to help the educators. But again, it's based on the employer's needs. So as those classrooms fill up and as those students start to go through the program and they start to transfer over into these employers' workplaces, we're able to recalculate demand and we're able to calculate retention of those students as they become employees to make sure that return on investment is there for those employers. So if they're showing up, they're pouring in their resources, is it paying off, is time to hire going down, is retention going up, all those key performance indicators that employee or that our, our employer partners really value. And at the same time, having the back of the educators and the ways that they need so they can fill the classrooms. Well, yeah. And, and speaking of that, so you're like, since we're talking nursing, um, but if it's not nursing, any program or any type of uh, job that requires licensure or a specific certification outside of just your two year or four year diploma, um, there's obviously attrition that takes place at universities and colleges. There's uh, boards. There's things that students have to pass as well. So it's kind of it, the workforce needs um, and tapping into the educational partners. It's almost like you can really wrap pieces of your strategic plan around some of that. I'm thinking for yeah. university partners because the, because and the reason I say that is because uh, to meet the needs based on what the, and I'm going to use this word, forecast, because, you know, sometimes we don't like to do that, but if we're forecasting in three years that this is what the needs are going to be, then you're looking at your incoming cohort for your freshman class. And how does that work? Like, because I I think it would be great if an educational partner could give that to the business. Here's what we're looking at. And here's the support, though, that we're going to need. So can we make this happen? Yes. But that would make that that would mean that we'd have to open our doors to more students. And as of right now, it is, it is the rotation sites. It is, you know, classroom space, um, you know, and being able to, to teach students um, the, the proper, being able to have that classroom environment that they need that is going to have them, you know, passing the NCLEX for the nursing students and then, you know, other certifications and stuff, because there's yeah. like, there, universities have to deal with accreditation, not just the university accreditation, right. but the programmatic accreditation, too. So there's also limitations to that. And I think the more the educators were brought to the table and then the businesses were brought, people could understand what people are, you know, one side's dealing with like, well, we we can't do that. Yeah. Right. Right. We can't do that today. We can start yeah. talking about that because as we know, 
in higher education, why others get their watches out after a meeting where they're going to do something. Sometimes in higher ed, we get our calendars out and we start yeah. thumbing through pages like, oh, maybe next year, the year <laughs> after. Like, and, and you have a business there and they're like, oh, I thought maybe like the summer. Like, like no, next no, no, week. No. <laughs> yeah. no. But that's just kind yes. of the, the, that's that's the state that we're in. But I think as more parties come together, there's a mutual understanding. It's you work, you spend a lot of time in human resources. I mean, how how often do we now hear like you got to have HR at the table? If you don't, you do. they're not going to be able to fulfill the seats of people that you need, job descriptions, right. things like that. You know, so <laughs> important pieces it's, of it. It's huge. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in like you know, I think that that is the good thing with businesses driving the conversation which is very unique because it's not usually the businesses that drive these type of conversations but and it's not us like we just support them we just do the data like we have an amazing team that works all over our state doing this but businesses make these decisions like it's not the Kentucky Chamber saying hey let's do this it's literally the businesses hammering this out and they look at the data they hear the responses from the educators and they come to mutual agreements and partnerships together and I think that that's like the communication gap that our community, that our country's been missing for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's it's really been holding us back because you know we just had we've had we speak two different languages and having we're like the translators. That's 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 our job is just to support the conversation, serve the conversation, and move it forward and translate it. And for a long time, businesses have had to work on getting their facts straight. And for a long time, I think the educators have had to work on, you know, being more nimble and innovative. And that's a scary place to be. But in the world we live in, it's like, an, it, I think it's a natural evolution of things. And you, I know, yeah. Paul, you and I have kind of geeked out on that topic before, but I, I really think it is. I think we're in a new day and age when it comes to workforce. Um, and we should be because we're, we're at this new evolution of, of what businesses need and the skill sets that our, our citizens need. Not, I think the making sure that one understands, like there's a difference yeah. between just acknowledging that that's the need and actually understanding the part that you'll play and fulfilling that need. Um, so you can bring that back to the university and sit down and have the, you know, many people that I've had on this podcast, uh, Beth, one of the things that always comes up is you know, if a bit, let's say if a business is meeting with the university, um, are the right people in the room? Because the business, if they're driving the conversation, right. most likely they are. At the education piece, it's here. I mean, you might just be talking to faculty at that point. Nothing wrong with that, but there's also other people that are going to need to, it's an intangible sell. How do you, how do you get that? You know, there's other people that are going to have to be involved in that. Um, and sometimes that's uh, barriers were a topic I wanted to talk about. That's that's a ba- I know just my journey in education, working in higher ed, uh, barriers uh, do exist just in the, just in the boardroom of this person's not even here, um, wasn't invited, and they are a major player as far as like saying yay or nay. And if we right. translate it to them, we might it's that game of telephone. We might kind of screw that up as well. So let's reconvene. And, uh, yeah. you know, look at it at a different time. So I just, I mean, you can be candid on this. Like our, so our, I think in higher ed, I, we're getting better, but I think we have been at times a little out of touch with the needs of the business. And I do think that's for good reasons. We're also busy trying to educate the youth and trying to educate and graduate alumni into the, 
to the economy, um, and we do a great job of it. Many universities in, the, in Kentucky, community colleges, and here in Louisville. That I'm, I, I know that we're doing that, but there's a whole bunch that we could be doing um, that we're not, and it's really just making sure that we are in, are inviting and, like you said, nimble. That's a the, it's, it's that innovative word. <laughs> the innovative word is, I mean, it's scary. And, you know, we've, we've just operated a certain way for so long in mean, businesses too, and educators. And I think what I hope we're coming out of is going beyond just inviting businesses to the table for that nice lunch and committee meeting, and then asking for, you know, tools and supplies um, and, and equipment and those kind of things. And I think we're coming out of that. I, I really do hope we're coming out of that because I think, all parties, whether that's educators or businesses, like we can't operate that way anymore. There is no room to operate where we're all in our own little boxes and then we can just expect candidates to show up. Um, that that world does not exist anymore. And I don't think it will ever again. Um, we just have so many pressures on us with workforce. And like you said, it could be really exciting, but it also could be frustrating. And if you think about like, we just, we don't have the same amount of kids that we used to. We have a smaller workforce population. We've got baby boomers coming out by the thousands and thousands and thousands every day. And the mm -hmm. workforce to replace them is much smaller. And then you bring on all the technological disruptions that are happening every day. There's no room for us not to be aligning education and workforce to the strategic needs of business. And so just like HR, you know, just like when you have a business plan at an organization and you know what training and education your workforce needs, there's no reason that workforce and education in our state or other states shouldn't be operating the same way based on what the economy needs and what those future forecasts, there's your word, are, are saying to us. Because in the end, if you build a workforce that aligns to business, Businesses run better, which means your economy runs better, which means ultimately your people are training up and educating up in the ways that the businesses need them. And so you get an employee that has higher earning potential and better life potential. And I just, you know, I think I will amen, be amen about that, Davidson. You're, you're on yeah. right now. You're just killing it. So just, oh, so that's, that's no, it's good stuff. It's my favorite. Right. I literally think workforce holds like the, all the keys to the the universe. I just think it's the secret sauce. I really think if you can get all of that right, if you can if you can literally align your citizens to the economy, you have so much opportunity. And you know, thinking of Kentucky. It's the fourth poorest state in the nation. So I will be candid. We really haven't gotten this right. Um, we've missed the bus a lot. And we have a lot of citizens that aren't skilling up and aren't educating up in the ways that they need. Um, and you see that when we've got, you know, 150,000 citizens that could be working but aren't due to terrible things like incarceration and substance use disorders, which are two of the four main reasons. Mm -hmm. um, we've missed it quite a bit, but I do think we're in a new day and age. I, I do think things are starting to change. I think you're starting to see those numbers increase and get better, um, but we can't let go of it because we're really just starting. No, you're right. That we're, we are just starting. We're not even, it, it's, it, yes, it's, it's the beginning. Um, 
I think uh, what we do have to acknowledge, though, is uh, there's data at our fingertips, and we can choose to utilize it. Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, data is objective, <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. There's right. no gray right. area, so it shows you what you can. You know, but you you use another word I, I like outside of forecast, and that's a line. Um, and it really is. You you have your educators, and you you've got your your workforce. Um, and we need to we need to sit down and have like some tough conversations, and we also have to like again be willing to uh, adapt. Um, yeah, I'll say that yeah. on the education side, that's going to be a little difficult, but because yeah. there's always there's artificial barriers, but there are many that uh, aren't barriers. They just have always been understood as barriers. If that makes any sense, like that was a barrier when I got at the university. So it's just a barrier today when it's not really, you just need to ask the right questions. And um, right. maybe this isn't the educational pathway and we need to look at another. Universities have many different pathways for many different types of students. It's just that you only, mar you only market some um, that are more popular or kind of your flagships. But there's plenty of other things that are happening and are available. I mean, even if you look at JCPS and the academies and some of the work that's going to be going on with those. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and I know this is higher ed, but Hey, they come here. So, uh, right. they event, so there's so many different, there's some great things happening at, um, through K through 12, um, and the universities. So that's happening at the K through 12, the college universities have to adjust to that too. Do you have a pipeline at your university that's just, uh, sustainable for that, you know, young adult now graduating from high school, I'm ready to continue on. And maybe it's not the four year I'm going to live on your university. Remember, we heard about Skip last week. I don't know if you were at uh, the, I was at the Graduate Network comeback convening. And they were talking yeah. about, you know, the, the profile of this student has changed. It's different. So and even if um, Selena Sanchez from JCTC was on, uh, on the show um, last year, and, you know, just some of the things that she brought up in the episode that we did about just that, what the student profile is changing at the community college level too. It's now becoming an economical and educational decision to go to the community college, which is great for the city. It's a, you know, JCTC downtown is one of the, it's the most diverse, you know, new college in, in the state of Kentucky. Um, so there's a lot of different like folks that are being attracted to that and they're going to go into the workforce or they might go into a four year. Either way, we got to be prepared to receive them. Right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love what you said about like, you know, sometimes I, I kind of heard you say, you know, sometimes there's barriers, but there's perceived barriers, but you have to know how to ask the right questions. And I'm really grateful to education leaders like you um, that think that way because they're, they're, you know, they're becoming, that's becoming more and more the norm and I'll say that's so important to like us on the business side, because we don't know how to ask those questions. I mean, we're right. good at being like, hey, this is how many nurses Louisville needs in the next couple of years. And this is the competencies and skill. We can do all that for you. But like we can't dig into your university systems and know, well, can we edit this or can we don't know those right questions? Um, you, so I think that that's so like right. a huge call to action. It's just like, please help us because are they barriers or are they perceived barriers? And can we go in and, and fix this or change this um, based on what the, the economy is calling for or based on what that business, those businesses are calling for? Definitely. Well, Beth, uh, before I wrap it up, um, first of all, congratulations on, again, the success in, in your team. 
I know you've, Thank you've, you. you've developed a team. So if your team's listening, congratulations, uh, team. Keep up the good work. Uh, if we did this episode in a year or two from now, we're, we're talking to a, a probably even bigger team, which means that even more work is needed um, and more work's being accomplished. So, uh, Thank Beth, you. I do they appreciate are the best. Time. Thank you. They, they, they I will thank for the shout out. They are the best in the world. I'm really, really grateful. They're probably out there working really, really hard right now, but they are bar none, literally the best. Is there any party words you would like to leave the listeners with before you head your way? And but let me plug this in. The Beth brought up a couple different uh, points of of engagement that, uh, that you can take part in. I will make sure that I have that uh, information in the show notes. Uh, so you can um, engage uh, uh, on your own time on uh, whatever platform uh, that you get the podcast on. So, and if you have not subscribed, please subscribe um, wherever you listen to your podcast so you're notified when the next episode comes up. And now, Beth, is there anything you would like to leave the listeners with? Any party words? Well, just gra- gratitude. Thanks for having me on Reboot Higher Ed. I honestly just felt like we were like just having a phone call. <laughs> we just are. catching up like old friends do. Yeah. And yes. congrats to you, Paul, on your success. And thanks for being just such an innovator and having the mind you do within education and leadership. We were really grateful to you. Well, thank you, Beth. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you to all the listeners out there that are probably in your area doing the same um, kind of work and innovation and, and pushing forward to a new day. Like uh, Beth said, we are just getting started and there's a lot of work to be done. So Beth, have a good rest of your day. Listeners, Reboot Higher End, make sure you uh, subscribe and tune in for the the next episode. And um, thank you for your time. Have a good day. Thanks, Paul.